you would turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll begin our reading in verse 1 and go a few verses in. One of the things I learned in life was how to do all kinds of jobs. Uh, I might not know how to do every job. Many of y'all probably know that because I've called on some of y'all to help me do jobs I didn't know how to do. But one of the things I learned was to do all kinds of jobs. Um, there were certain jobs that I had to do as a, a child where my, son, my father looked at me and went, you'll need clothes that you don't want to ever wear again. Uh, and, and I knew that was when we were about to do a fun job. Uh, I remember one day he told me to get my rubber boots on, uh, some jeans that I did not want, uh, and a shirt that I never wanted to see again. And he took me back there and I said, what are we doing, Daddy? And he said, first of all, I dug up that pipe there and it's connected to the septic tank and somebody got to cut the pipe. Uh, and I went, when you say somebody, he went, that's why I had you, boy. Uh, I ain't doing it. Uh, there's all kind of jobs I had to do in life I didn't want to do. Uh, sometimes he had to stand over my shoulder and make me do them. Um, there was a number of jobs in church that I found that I did not want to do. I ran a children's camp one time, and I had uh, lined up a number of youth who was supposed to take the garbage out, and, and I thought that was a pretty simple task that could be easily done. And, and one day, it was about three days into the camp, uh, the, the kitchen just started having a horrible smell in it. Uh, which is never good. I mean, if you're going to eat something coming out of a place, you don't want putrid smells coming out of that place. So I started investigating what it was, and I realized it was the garbage. But when I looked in there, there was a clean bag. There was nothing in the garbage. And I said, uh, well, all right. I looked under the bag, and on Monday they had spaghetti. And evidently the bag had slipped down, and kids had thrown spaghetti away, and it had fallen to the bottom of the container. And these wonderful youth I had assigned this job had just been putting clean bags right over the top of the trash that was in the bottom of the can. I looked down there, and I started looking around, going, it's time for me to teach a valuable lesson. There was nobody in the building. I'm like, i got to do this. So I had to take those out and clean them. That took so much bleach. Uh, I think the dollar store sold out of bleach that day. It was nasty. It was filthy, but it was a job I had to do. One of the things that always impressed me with mothers is I just was astounded at the fact that they would just clean up anything. Uh, things that I would look at and go, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. They'd just get in there like it was nothing. It's just a part of life. That's what you got to do as your kid. Then we had a kid, and I was kind of a stay-at-home dad for a while, and I realized somebody got to do it. <laughs> I mean, there ain't nobody there, right? Sometimes in church work, sometimes in life, we start thinking we are a little too good to do certain jobs. And life has a way of teaching us that we're never too good to do any jobs. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that we have to embrace within the church, one of the things that we have to embrace within the Christian life is that all jobs are valuable. There was a book written called, um, uh, there was a book written by Brother Lawrence, who was a monk, who talked about being in the presence of God. And, and the job that he got and he was assigned when he went to the monastery was not the job that he wanted. He wanted to sit and pray and study theology and become a bright individual who was one of the top scholars of his day. And the job he received when he entered into the monastery was to wash the dishes of the other monks. But he said it was such a profound thing in his life because he came to understand that washing dishes was when he was in the presence of God. For it was not only serving the other monks, it was serving God himself. In some ways, we have to embrace the task 
that we are called to give and we have to invest in those no matter what level they are on. I've had people walk up to me before in churches and tell me that I was the pastor, I didn't need to be doing something. And I told them, there's no job beneath me and there's no job beneath you. All things have to be done and we have to have a servant's heart where we will do them. Whether we think we are best equipped or sometimes or not, we have to jump in and do them. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is actually exhorting those who are in leadership. He's talking to the elders. He's talking to the presbyters. This kind of a, in some ways, a little bit of an unusual passage to proclaim to an entire congregation because Peter is specifically talking to those who most likely feel a professional role within the ministry as, as professional as you get in that day and time. Now, First Peter was a book that was written to a church in persecution, uh, and, and he embraced that persecution. Peter had a notion that Christ, if he was crucified and if he was tortured and if he suffered, then why would his followers expect any different? Therefore, you most likely will enter uh, into moments of pain in life and suffering in life, and you should expect it, for you are the follower of one who died upon a cross. And in that understanding, Peter then exhorts those who are over the church to minister as though they need to care for these individuals because they're going to go through a hard life. They're going to face difficulties that you cannot even begin to imagine. And Peter is telling the leadership of the church, you need to be aware of what these individuals will face. You need to be aware of what these individuals are going to go through so that you can minister to them and minister to them well. But the principles that he tells the elders here, I think, are principles that each and every Christian should apply in their service in church. In other words, I think each thing that he says to them is also something that we need to embrace in the general membership so that we can better serve our God and better function as the body of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll begin our reading in verse 1. Peter writes this, he says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to this eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So, so Peter is writing a church that is under persecution and they're going through trials and he's talking now to the leadership and he says to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. In other words, I'm in the same boat as you are. Notice that Peter has a right to uh, uh, appeal to his authority. Peter is seen as, as probably the head apostle. In the Gospels, he's presented at least as one of the main three and maybe the most primary. 
Remember, he's the one who made the proclamation in Matthew 16 that Christ was the son of the living God. And it was Christ who said, upon you, my church will be built. And and, and in that sense, Peter is kind of elevated in that way. Peter was there at the transfiguration. Peter was one of the first disciples at the tomb. Peter has always been seen as kind of an authority, maybe, probably, at least the, the one who rivals Paul for authority in the New Testament. And what we see here is that Peter is saying, I am like you. He doesn't appeal to the authority. He doesn't say, because I am Peter and I walk with Christ and I'm I'm one of the heads of the church. You've got to do this. What he's saying is, I'm with you. I'm a fellow elder with you. I know the steps that you are walking. I know what you are going through. I am in your shoes. So understand, when I say this to you, I understand what I'm expecting of you. He says to the other elders or to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering and one who also has sh- also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. He gives three examples of what you are not to do and followed by, but do this. And one of the things he says is do not, do not become a, a person who serves because you have to serve. In other words, do not serve out of obligation. And there's a difference when we do something because we are obligated to do it. And there's a difference when we embrace what we are doing. Those things which we love to do, then we will try our hardest And we will do our best. Those things that we are obligated to do, we get by with. If we don't like them, if we don't want to do them, we might finish the task. But we're not going to put our whole heart into it. And what he's saying is if you're going to be an overseer of a church at this time, then then you cannot serve it out of obligation. Not simply because it is obligatory, but you must serve it because that is your heart's desire. Guys, I don't believe that just fits for others here. I think it fits for all of us. For our call is to serve in the kingdom of God. And I'll grant you that there is some obligation there. Any times that, that God gives his only begotten son to die upon a cross so that you can be saved, there's kind of an obligation that you serve him. But, but God tells us the same thing in our walk with him. It's not that he wants us to be obligated to him as much as he wants us to be willing to serve him. Because we love him. There are things, and, and we kind of get into this even in personal relationships and, and things of that nature. It amazes me uh, on Valentine's Day or on certain special holidays when I go into the store, you'll see the card aisle packed with men. One of the few days of the year that if you walk into Walgreens or sometimes a quick stop, um, wherever they might have a card or a fake rose, you'll see men just gathered around in a huddle. Trying to get that last card. If the card is sold out, you might hear weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
because they have to go to another store and find a car on Valentine's Day, not the day before, not the day. on Valentine's Day. Go to these stores and you will find the most men you'll ever see shopping on a card aisle in a store. I'm not going to tell you how I know that aisle's that full uh, on those days, but I'm just going to tell you I know from empirical evidence it is that full. Why? Because most of the time, Valentine's Day hits and they go, oh, I've got an obligation to get something. It's obligatory. We don't want to be the only one that did not get a card or did not get flowers or did not get those things. Guys, don't do things for the person you love out of obligation. Do it because you're wanting to do it. There are certain things and certain standards that we put obligation on, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this, and, and, and it's expected. But when things are expected, they're not as meaningful. You want to find real meaning in a relationship instead of just giving the kind of the rope card on Valentine's Day when everybody else is doing it and is expected for you to do it? Give them something nice when they're not expecting it. When there's no holiday, when there's no reason, you just give it to them because you love them. It makes a profound difference. It's a huge difference. It's appreciated far more than the flowers that are sent on Valentine's Day. It's appreciated a whole lot more than, 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 than the obligatory gifts that you have to give throughout the year. Now, I'm not saying forget Valentine's Day or forget the anniversary or things of that nature. That might get you in enough trouble that you have to buy a lot more gifts throughout the year. But, but try on occasion just to give something when it's not expected. And I'm going to tell you something. It makes a huge difference. And the reason it makes a huge difference is in their minds, instead of going, he was obligated to do this, they start thinking, he really loves me. He really cares for me and he thinks about me on other days other than Valentine's Day. Why? Because it means a whole lot more to the person that we care for that they know that we are willing to serve and willing to love rather than just following the obligation. And what Peter is saying in this passage is, guys, don't serve out of obligation. Serve because you are willing to serve. When you serve out of obligation, you will look for every reason to get out of your service. You will look for every excuse in the book not to serve. When you are willing to serve, when you are dedicated to service, you will look for every opportunity to serve. There's a difference in that. And when God calls us to his kingdom, what he wants us to be is willing servants who love to serve him, to embrace service. And just as, as Peter is saying, look, I'm a fellow presbyter, I'm a fellow elder, and, and this is the way I approach it, Jesus himself approached it in this way. Jesus had every right to have authority over his disciples. He was the son of man coming down out of the clouds as spoken of in Daniel, but he was the son of man who came to serve and to save those who were lost. One of the great images of Christ is when he's at the feet of the disciples washing their feet. He served, not out of obligation. There was no obligation for him to serve his disciples, but he served willingly. There was no obligation for him to be nailed to a cross. He did it willingly. And in our response, we should serve. And we should desire to serve 
willingly. The second characteristic that Peter goes into is not just this one of being willing and not under obligation, but he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. So basically what Peter is saying is do this not because of what you can get out of it. Most of the time when we do things, we do them because of what we can get out of them. And what Peter is saying is don't do it for greed of money. Don't do it for the things that you can get. Do it so that you can serve. Guys, we aspire to roles in life that are not service roles. We aspire to roles in life that are roles where people serve us. I taught a lot of years of freshman level college. I dealt with a lot of students who were looking for their way in life and what they were going to do and and what major they were going to major in and what they were going to end up being. Most of them did not desire a service job. Most of them desired a job where they would be served. And, and sometimes what motivates us in life is what we can get, what, what comes our way. And what Peter is saying is don't serve the church for what you can get out of it. Serve the church because there's a desire to serve. What gives one a desire to serve? In our world, there's typically this kind of quid pro quo where I will do this if you give me this. In other words, I will serve you, but I I expect some type of reward and expectation of that, some type of payment. What Peter is saying is is serve. Not, Not because you're being paid. Serve. Not because... Not because you can get something or some type of glory for it. Serve. Serve without recognition. Serve without payment. Serve. Why do we desire that? Because we love God so much. I want every single opportunity I can have to serve Him. That's what inspires me. It's not what I can get. It's not the money that I can receive. But it's truly the desire to serve God because he did so much for me. And and then you look for opportunities to better serve. And you look for new ways to serve. And he says in the third one. He says, don't be greedy, but be eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. If you want to be a quality member of a church, it is not those who find positions of authority in the church. It is those who serve willingly in a church. Notice what he's saying. Don't don't find yourself in an authoritative position where you're lording over other people. Think about his example. When he came to them at the beginning of this chapter and said, as a fellow elder in a church, In other words, Peter has every right to say, under my authority, these are the things you need to do. He doesn't do that. He comes to them and says, because I am walking in your shoes, I know what you need to do. Do these things with me. He says, 
Don't lord over those that were entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. We don't get to sit back and tell others what to do. We are to exemplify the qualities that we want others to live with. I pray that in my ministry, whatever church I have been serving, I have not been someone who has just told people what to do, but I have been a person who has done those things himself. Because that is what leadership is about. Whether it is in, in a church or whether it is in a school building or whether it is in, in the government, Lord knows we've lost our way, but, but it's not a sense where we tell others what to do or how to do it. We have to be involved in it. You will notice that I am typically at children's functions and I am at youth functions if there's not something that conflicts out with that. And then I'm at adult functions and I'm typically trying to be at senior adult functions. I try to be at most of the functions of the church. Why? Because I have to be? No. I could easily sit back and say, you know, Mark's a youth minister. I trust him and, and, and I do trust him and he can handle that. But if I have an opportunity to be there, why am I going to be there? If the church is carrying on a function that, that may not even be the function that, that, that I feel is in my wheelhouse, so to speak, why am I going to be there? Because I am asking the membership of the church to be invested in those things. And if I'm going to ask you to be invested in those things, then I have an expectation of myself to be invested in those things. I, I have a value as a bivocational minister. I work a job. And I'm there a lot of hours. And I could easily say I work a job and I'm there a lot of hours and I'm not going to do all the meetings I do and all the things I do. But there's a reason that I do those things on top of another job that I work. And the reason for it is because I'm asking you to do those things on top of the job you work. And I would never ask you to do something that I was not willing to do myself. We can't sit back and, and, and we can't ask people to serve who are under us when we are not willing to serve ourselves. And it's not predicated by a paycheck that you get or something that you're offered from the church. It's due to that's the call that God has given you. I've discovered in my life if I was not receiving a dime from a church, I would still be serving a church. When I went to do my Ph.D., I was not called to a church. I didn't even seek out a church because I was working on a Ph.D. And I thought it would take all my time. And I thought it would be unfair for a church at that time for me to be focused so much on my schoolwork and not on that church. But what I discovered is even though I was focused on 24 hours of Ph.D. work in a year and, and Latin classes and all those things, and I wasn't getting any money from a church. I, I was there every Sunday, and I was there when the doors were open, and I volunteered to serve in capacities that the church opened its doors to because that's who I am. But it's not who I am because of my personality or what I've genetically been given by my parents. It's who I am because I am a son of God and a child of God. And that is no different than you. We should have that inspiration to serve where we are. And we should look for opportunities to invest in the lives of others. That is Peter's call to the leadership of the church. 
He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want you to hear what he's saying because this is significant in, in the ways that the scripture presents these things. Peter is saying for the, for the elders to, to kind of look over the church, to be example for the young men. Not to rule over them, but lead by example. So for those of you who have been in the church for a long time, your responsibility is to be an example for those who come after you. Not to lord over them, not to be an authority over them, not to tell them what to do and not what to do, but to live out before them as an example of what a Christian should be. For young men, you should respect those who have lived the Christian life. You should look toward them for an example, and they should be an example unto you. But notice what Peter says. He tells them to be humble so that they might receive the instruction that they need from those who are elders. But he also backs up and says all people need to be humble. Be submissive. In Ephesians, where it's going through the family structure and it talks about wives and husbands. People love to pull that passage out. Uh, Wives need to be submissive to their husbands. But that passage actually begins with all Christians should be submissive. We all should be submissive. The problems that, that, that come about is when we lack submission to one another. Peter's saying the same thing. In the church, there should be sub- submission from the elders. There should, should be submission from the young. We should strive to become the best group of people that we can become so that we may serve God better and be a stronger church for him. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Guys, life is filled with anxiety. And notice that the scriptures don't just say, get rid of your anxiety. Quit worrying about it. You ever had somebody who's just fretting over something, worrying about something, and looking at them and go, just quit worrying about it? It don't help. If any of you have struggled with anxiety in life, I've struggled with some myself. If any of you struggle with worry in life, somebody looking at you and telling you not to worry about it, that's about as useless as you can get. Because it don't matter. It's not not just a, a logic thing. You might work through every process and know that that might not be something to worry about, but somehow you're still worried about it. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating because you don't know why you're worried about it. And here's people telling you, just stop worrying about it, but you're still worried about it. The Bible understands that you're going to have anxiety. Christ understands that you're going to have anxiety and worry. The way that you're to alleviate that at times is at least to come to an understanding. And I still work on this in life. Because what's creating the anxiety is all these things are out of my control. There's a lot of things I want to control in life that I can't control. And that's what gives me anxiety. If if I'm in control of it, I don't have as much anxiety over it. Whether that's good, bad, or otherwise, it's just the case. In a car, I have way more anxiety when I'm in the passenger seat and PJ's driving. For multiple reasons. Multiple reasons. I won't go into all of them now because we don't have time. But I'm just going to tell you, I had daylight scared at me numerous times. When I'm behind the steering wheel, that level of anxiety goes down. Is it because I'm a better driver? Probably, yes. But 
it's also because I'm in control of the car. And whether I could save us or not, if something came up, I got more, I, I mean, I'm in control. I don't like to fly. PJ wants to go see her brother in New York. There's one thing that's really keeping me from embracing that trip, and it's I got to get on a plane. I don't know anything about flying, and I got to entrust myself to the pilot or the autopilot or whatever's flying that plane. I'm telling you, I'm uncomfortable with it. And I know everybody says, well, flying's safer than driving, but I'm driving. And I think I know how to drive. I don't know anything about flying. It, it worries me when things are out of my control. It bothers me greatly when they, I might be a little bit of a control freak, but it bothers me when others have control. And what I've learned about life is all of life is out of my control. Every aspect of it. I can't control any of it. And what you learn by that is what the scriptures tell you is you've got to give it to God. I don't say that in a trite fashion. It's one of the most difficult things that you will ever come to understand and do. You just got to hand it to God and say, God, I trust you because I know you love me. It's the only thing that you can do. But it's not an easy thing to do. But that's what Peter is telling them. Hand it over to God, this anxiety that will cripple you. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Guys, be on your toes. Try to live the life that God has called you to. He basically says, you know, watch out. If you find yourself kind of creeping away or getting involved in things that you know that you should not be involved in, then you need to straighten that out long before you see how far you can go. Be careful, for your enemy is like a prowling lion walking around, waiting to devour you. I want you to think of that image as well. This is not something that will harm you. I think we lose sight of this in the scripture sometimes. Sin doesn't just damage you. Sin doesn't just make you uncomfortable. Sin doesn't just make you have to apologize. Sin is a destructive force that devours you. And most things that devour us, we stay away from. Mike and I were watching a show called Dirty Jobs yesterday. And this guy goes around and does different jobs that most other people wouldn't do. And he had to wash a, a tiger. It was a mix between a tiger and a, a lion. Uh, but it wasn't a liger because it had been bred back to another lion. So it was a tiligra or something. But whatever it was, was it had some bad looking claws and some mean looking teeth. And that man had a water hose spraying it. Now, I, I don't know much about cats, but I know they don't like water. And something with big teeth and claws, I won't even wash our cats. PJ wants them washed, she's going to have to do it herself. It's cat and water don't mix. Kind of like electricity. And he's sitting there spraying a tiligra or whatever it is. I was waiting for that thing to rip his face off. We don't mess with things that devour us or that can devour us. But we play around with sin all the time. And the Bible says it's a destructive force that will devour you. Guys, stay away from it and be on your toes and look out for it. And he says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, 
you himself uh, himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, steadfast to him the power forever and ever. Amen. How do we do these things? How do we serve in this way? How do we become the leaders God's called us to be? How do we become the church God wants us to be? We hand it over to him. And he will teach us to be steadfast, for he is faithful. And in his faithfulness, we will discover how to minister the way we should minister. Guys, this is a call not just for those who lead in a ministerial role. This is a call for those who lead in the church. And I ask that we all become leaders in the church. For it is one of our calls as a child of God. May we serve well and may we serve together. Let us pray. God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for an opportunity to open up your word. We thank you for your revelation. And Lord, I pray that it speaks to our heart. I pray that we will follow your voice. And whatever it is that we discern your will is for our life, give us the faith to follow and to accomplish those things that you set before us. Lord, we come before you now, praying that you will speak to us and you will lead us. And Lord, that we will accomplish the things you have for us as we go forth into a world that is filled with pain and darkness. May we be a marvelous light for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning we'll have time of invitation. If everyone would please stand, Cassie, if y'all would please.